Welcome to Build Your Tribe, the show where we talk about all things necessary in order for you to take your message, turn it into a business, take your business and grow it and reach more people. We talk about marketing. We talk about everything you need to know to make more money and hustle less. Today, my guest is Wahida Lakani. You might not be familiar with her name because as in traditional form for both Build Your Tribe and The Shaleen Show, as well as the experts that we bring to the Marketing Impact Academy, I'm not interested in working with the most popular person or the person who's got a new book out. I want to find people who are truly passionate and exceptionally gifted at what they do, irregardless of how big or how large their followings are. If there's somebody who is amazing, I'm going to bring him to you. And that's why we have Wahida on today. So let me tell you a little bit, a little backstory about how we found Wahida quite by accident working with another agency. We told them, we've really been struggling with sales copy. I hire copywriters all the time to help us improve our copy. Listen, you guys, if you want to sell anything, whether that is getting someone to click on your bio and your Instagram or buy your new program, join your team, whatever it is, the key is copy. But there's a huge difference between copy that's entertaining, copy that sounds like you, and copy that actually gets people to take action. It's so hard to find. I cannot even tell you. I've studied sales copy. I've read every book I can find on sales copy. Uh, I've done tons of courses on sales copy, and I still feel like I'm, I'm not great at it. And whenever we hire someone who quote unquote does sales copy, I'm miserably disappointed. Not always, but most instances, I'm like, ah, it didn't help. Like, that's not my audience. That's not how I write. That's not, it didn't convert. That's the bottom line. If it doesn't convert, it's not working. No offense. Then I was introduced to Wahida. And well, I'm going to let you meet her in just a moment. But let me just tell you, this woman is gifted at copy. And she's been incredibly successful at it for for quite some time. She is the founder of Brands Are Stories, which is basically a conversion copy shop, if you will, play on coffee shop. And she works with influencers, consultants, brands, experts, startups, you name it. She has obviously written for us. She's written for many of our brands and she's been featured in the Huffington Post, Founder Magazine, and several others. She's just very passionate about what she does. And when she was introduced to me, I asked her to show me exactly how she goes about this. Like, what, what is your process? How do you do this? And today, you're in luck. Wahida shares her process with you. Wahida, thank you so much for joining me today. This is a conversation that's going to help so many people. As I said in my intro, it's really, really hard to find people who are as good and as talented and as passionate about copy as you are. So let me start off by asking the question, how in the world did you end up here? Yeah, of course. So I kind of got into copywriting backwards, but I have to have to start by saying thank you for having me on the podcast. I have spent hours working out with you in my living room. <laughs> I have many, many of your CDs and DVDs. So uh, like yes. that's how far back I've had these programs. So I love it. So it's exciting to be here. I got into copywriting a little bit backwards. I started as a freelance Facebook ads manager. So freelance Facebook ads manager. So meaning that means that you, people could contact you and, and they'd say like, I'm having a hard time figuring out how to make my ads work on Facebook. And exactly. you started doing that for them. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of how I got my start. And it's also where I discovered how critical copywriting was because with one of my first clients, she was an up and coming influencer and I was so excited to have the account and it was on a trial basis and we were running an affiliate launch. It was our first campaign together. And if you've been behind the scenes of an affiliate launch, it's basically where all of these online influencers come together to promote a particular product. And it's very transparent in the back end. There's a leaderboard where you can see how well everyone is performing. And we were up against some really big names where folks had really big lists and really big budgets. And here we come, right? I'm naive at just starting out. And I really wanted my client to win. And we thought, despite being underdogs, we really thought we could make this happen. So we go into this campaign excited. And a few days in, I start to realize that despite having spent thousands of dollars on training on how to optimize for the algorithm and tinker with this and 
deal with bidding objections and all of these kinds of technical things, the campaign wasn't working. And I was starting to lose a little bit of hope. So I find myself at 2 a.m. in the morning at my dining room table, because I worked for my dining room table at that time. And I was panicking a little bit because I was dying of embarrassment. Things weren't working and I didn't know how I was going to break it to the client. And I remember distinctly seeing out of the corner of my eye, you know, on Slack, you get these little like red messages when someone is contacting you. Yes. And she had messaged me, the client had messaged me and she said, you know, how's it going? And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know how I'm going to break it to her that this isn't going the way we had hoped. And so I had just decided, okay, like something might change overnight, but if it doesn't, I'm going to need to tell her first thing in the morning. So I took myself to bed, slept, not at all, (laughs) if I'm being honest, got out of bed in the morning, hopped in the shower and was stealing myself for this conversation. And then something occurred to me, which was despite the fact that we had a smaller list and a smaller budget, and we were sort of brand new on the scene, my client over having worked with her had told me these really moving stories about how she had used this program to help her reach her entrepreneurial goals. And we hadn't dug into that yet. And so I literally ran to, I probably had suds in my hair, if I'm being honest. I ran to my desk and I messaged her and I said, there's room for improvement, but let me try one more thing. And I started to create these little micro stories. Each of the ads became this little story about how the program had helped this successful up-and-coming entrepreneur reach her goals. And wouldn't you know, engagement started to go up, click-through rates started to go up. We started to work with the algorithm and not try to trick it. And we were rewarded. Our budget went further. And slowly but surely, we started to rise on the leaderboard. Mm -hmm. By the end, we were in the top 10, which was like a huge deal for us. And of course, the entrepreneur who I was working with gets lots and lots of credit because it's always a combined effort for sure. She was wonderful. But it was my first taste that copy could make such a measurable difference in the results that you were going to get in your business. Yeah. And I was hooked. I was hooked. I was hooked. So it took about three years for me to decide to move away from Facebook ads because I was still in love with it. But it did, understanding that messaging and copy were kind of the key to getting great results informed all of my strategies when it came to Facebook ads. And then finally, I decided what am I doing? I love copy. I'm writing people's emails anyway for free. I'm tinkering with their sales pages. Like copy is my love. And so that's kind of how I got into this work. How did you formally prepare yourself further other than just realizing you're a great writer? You obviously have the ability to tap into story. Was there any formal training that you did or do you rely on a natural skill and talent for sharing story? I definitely paid lots of money, again, <laughs> to train. So I had mentorship. I paid for a mastermind, all of that kind of thing to get better at copywriting. Here's the secret though, is that as I became more and more aware of this kind of underground copywriting community, what I realized that was folks were coming from all kinds of backgrounds. So they were coming from anything and everything. Some people were salesmen, other folks were Kindergarten teachers, everybody was coming from a different background. But what made a great copywriter wasn't where you came from or even the formal training that you had, but how passionate you were about studying the greats. Meaning, if you go to Amazon right now and if you Google copywriting, all of their books are there. They're like $20 a piece. And if you're willing to read them, you read the first book, then you read the second book, you start to see patterns. They give you all of their information, you know, the things that they have spent years and years and years developing, the insights and the frameworks and all that kind of thing. They're there on Amazon waiting for you if you're willing to study it. Mm. So that was the thing that kind of pushed me over the edge because it's the closest thing to studying at their feet if I wasn't able to pay for that. Um, I think that we know with uh, Marketing Impact Academy Mm -hmm. is we're constantly studying algorithms. We're constantly studying the change in the way the consumer's attention shifts. Like what is it they're paying attention to? What has become white noise? What's now that used to grab their attention actually sends off alarm bells? Oh, this is a sale. This is a gimmick. You know, because those things change all the time. Mm. Is there a part, or I should ask, how much of copywriting is timeless? Yes. Okay. So that's part of the reason why I love copywriting is because Empathy is timeless for sure. Mm -hmm. 
And empathy works on any platform. And especially coming from Facebook ads where everything is changing all the time and it's very technical and detail oriented, copywriting, you get to have deep knowledge. There's things that change, there's new techniques, there's a modern way of speaking. But if you can empathize with people, if you show that you understand them, then it's agnostic to what platform you're using. How much of that is formulaic? Like you actually know, like, okay, here's my methodology for kind of to measure if in fact we're using empathy, if in fact we're Mm -hmm. appealing to that side of people's intuition and what grabs people's attention, what part of that is formulaic? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's a great question. It's one that we spend lots of time and effort trying to figure out, like, when have we kind of hit gold? And from everyone that I've studied with and all the work I've done myself, you know you've hit gold when you can start to speak in your customers' words, mm-hmm. in their language, and when you understand their problems that they're not necessarily sharing on social media, but they're sharing with each other or in interviews, if you do one-to-one interviews with your customers or even in Facebook groups. And on Amazon reviews, people tell really honest insights into the problems that they're up against. And when you start to see patterns and you're like, oh yeah. So for example, I was working with a client who she's wonderfully talented and helps women who have had their babies heal their pelvic floor. She's a Mm -hmm. postnatal specialist and I've never had a child yet anyway. So I couldn't empathize. So what I did was I went into these mom Facebook groups and the conversations that women were having with each other about funny things like pee sneezing, which I didn't even know was a thing, right? (laughs) But every mom knows it's a thing. Oh yeah. Um, Right. So you start to use that language, but you start to also see the reality that, you know, most moms get their six week checkup, for example, and leave the doctor's office feeling like, well, I still feel like I've been hit by a truck, but no one's talking about it. Like, what am I supposed to do now? So the answer to how do you know when you're speaking in their language, when you really hit gold with empathy is when you understand what they're thinking and you're seeing those patterns repeat themselves. Well, to clarify that, most yeah. of our listeners are not yet outsourcing their mm-hmm. copy, which mm-hmm. we're going to work on that mindset before this episode is over. Yeah. So when you talk about like being able to write in their voice, being able to think yeah. in their thoughts, being able to use their language, if I'm doing the copywriting myself, mm-hmm. how do I measure my own ability to tap into the empathy mm-hmm. of my, or what, I guess, suggestions do you have for people yeah. who, we miss it. Like, I think so often, yeah. we as entrepreneurs are like, oh, I know what I, I'm going to do. I'm going to look at somebody else's sales copy who's, mm-hmm. who I know is killing it. And I'm going to just try to use that. Or I'm going to, I'm going to think about my product and I'm going to think about all of its features yeah, I'm just going to really, because these features are what I'm super excited about. And I'm just going to talk about these features and I'm going to talk about how great the pricing is. And we get so caught up in, I think, traditional sales and what everybody else Mm -hmm. is doing that we miss the significance of, and maybe I'm wrong, but that's the biggest mistake I've made along the way that we get caught up in the wrong thing. Let's be frank. Actually, let me dial this back a little bit. And let's talk about copy versus sales copy. And let's clarify the difference between copy and sales copy because there's a big difference, Mm y'all. So sales copy has a goal or an end in mind. It's trying to change behavior generally. And in that way, it's exhilarating because it's measurable. Did you increase sales? Did you even increase open rates? There's a host of metrics that you can start to pull together to see, are you having an effect? Are you changing behavior? Are you getting the outcome you're looking for? Regular copywriting sometimes can tend towards clever or you're trying to be unique sometimes, or you're trying to be, you're going to be relatable. Yeah. You're sort of focusing on the art of it and sales copy is, you still have to focus on the art when it comes to sales copy, but it's definitely measurable. It's very tangible. It's the thing that drives business outcomes. So would you say that sales copy is really any copy of which the intention is to get the reader, the viewer, the Mm -hmm. listener to do something? Exactly. Yeah. If you can move them into action with your copy, it's sales copy. To add to that, I started in advertising at like an advertising agency. And at the time I wasn't copywriters, but when we would get copywriters around the table, the goal oftentimes was to create the funniest slogan or the most clever slogan. Or, you know, a billboard that would get them in the news and win an award. 
And that's great, but it wasn't necessarily tied to revenue. And that's the difference. It's like brand Mm. versus revenue generating. Yes. Love that. Okay. So with that in mind, what would you say the number one mistake you see the Mm. self-employed, I'm going to do it all entrepreneur who is the sales copywriter, the photographer, the editor, the producer, customer service, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe what's the biggest mistake that we're making when it comes to sales copy? Mm. Mistake number one is you're not charged up enough. You're writing before you have enough fodder. So that goes back to getting into those Facebook groups and searching keyword phrases so that you can see what conversations are happening in and around your topic. Am I looking for conversations around a problem or conversations Mm -hmm. around product that I offer? All the way through the customer journey. So Eugene Schwartz, who has this great book called Breakthrough Advertising, he talks about the customer journey. And basically, in a nutshell, what it means is that from beginning of a customer who knows and believes that they have a problem, all the way through to a customer who's ready to purchase, they go through an arc of awareness, basically. And so in a nutshell, what you want to do is help your customer go from problem aware to oh, not only am I aware of the problem, but I'm aware that there's a solution that you offer the solution and that your solution is the only solution that's going to help me get to my goals. And so what you're looking for is all kinds of information that helps you fill in that journey. So for example, someone who is looking for marketing might not know that social media is the thing that will help them reach an audience and build relationships without um, having to spend money on Facebook ads, for example. That becomes part of your story arc. You start to use that information to build that arc out. But again, you're looking for like, how are they describing their problem? What do they wish they had? What do they feel about your competitors? And ultimately, what objections they have as well, because all great sales copy anticipates objections and then builds a case for the alternative. Let's go with that for a second. You said all great sales copy. Mm -hmm anticipates the objection. Yes. So, you know, we've worked together. And the reason why I wanted to have you as a part of the show and serving my audience is because we've worked with so many sales copywriters who I believe are copywriters who've Mm -hmm. done some sales copy and then call themselves sales copywriters. Mm -hmm. But I've never seen anyone who uses your process and who's as in touch with that empathy factor understanding the way the customer's describing the problem Mm -hmm. and also addressing that objection. So we've worked Mm -hmm. through copy that was converting for us and figured out how to like really crush it by going through this process. So walk me through maybe an example of copy that doesn't address an objection and how you would revise it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I have worked in the past with a dating coach, for example, And one of the beliefs, women who are looking to a dating coach for help, Uh it's not their first rodeo, right? And so a mistake would be to assume that this woman is coming into this relationship or coming into your coaching without any bad experiences that, Mm. that she's coming from, right? So she likely believes that there aren't any good men left, for example. She believes that it's too much effort. She believes that because of dating apps now, you can't even find a good guy and everybody, it's like hookup culture and nobody wants a real relationship. She might think it's going to take me way too long to find a quality guy because by the time we're seeing each other and not anybody else, he could ghost me and I've just lost six months of my life. Mm. So it's not worth it. My career is fulfilling. I don't need this. Right? Okay. So you literally think through, okay, the ideal audience, the ideal yes. customer if I find the ideal customer who's incredibly pessimistic about this and she or he already has their mind set up on like why this won't work, you're brainstorming a list of all the reasons why this person is going to think this isn't for them. Absolutely. And then Ah. you're creating an argument within integrity to help support why you should be willing and able to take the leap and get the help that you need. So for example, one of the things that we realized was that women were obviously they were hurt. They'd been hurt in the past and they were a little bit shy about going back into the dating pool. So one of the angles for the emails that helped increase revenue measurably over 60 and 90 days was nobody remembers the guys who hurt them on their wedding day. Yeah. Right? No one remembers the losers. (laughs) Right? Exactly. So on your wedding day, none of that 
will matter and it will have all been worth it if you decide that finding that person is a life value for you. If it's a life value for you, it's worth it. You're going to look back and say, they were nothing. That's, That's interesting. And you even belief. think about wedding day. Like, so you're not just thinking about the objections. You're also thinking about ultimate goal. Yes, exactly. Your future pacing towards what can happen. Another belief was women believe that there's not any good men out there, right? And what, what this dating coach was finding was that there's tons of good men out there. You're just finding them maybe on the wrong pool. So maybe the, the swipe app isn't for you. <laughs> maybe you want to find these men at rock climbing, if that's an interest for you, or at the art studio, if that's an interest for you. There's other pools that you can go to, to try and find quality guys who are interesting and looking for a relationship. And so the next email is this idea of, you know, there's a good man going to bed alone tonight. Mm. And, and if you would just look up and meet him halfway, if you'll just meet him halfway, go to the rock climbing class, go to the art studio, go to these things where these guys are and put yourself in the way of love. That's up to you. That's under your control. And so this kind of thinking where you're thinking of the objection and then what is the opposite case? What's the reason for taking action? I've seen it increase revenue time and time again. Really fascinating, which leads me to ask you, and, and maybe yeah. this is proprietary, but you have a really unique process. Mm. Uh, so obviously you're, you're working with clients and, and mm -hmm. obviously you also write your own sales copy. But like, for example, when I first started working with you, the one reason why I was like, oh, I'm for sure, I don't care what it takes, we have to work with Wahida. When I saw you shared with me your yeah. process mm -hmm. for figuring out how to think like my customer, how to write in my voice, how to capture my essence. And that was really elaborate. Are you comfortable kind of breaking yeah. that down? Yeah, of course, of course. So there's two parts. The first is your voice, your brand voice, your brand voice architecture. And that consists of two parts. So it's your promise, your brand promise, and then your patterns in your writing. And this came to me after struggling through my first ever official copywriting client who I got for cheap. She was a past client and wonderful and was willing to let me experiment on her. And she came back and she said, I love the copy. It's probably going to convert, but it doesn't sound like me. Mm. And this was the step I had missed. I hadn't figured out which of the 12 archetypes she is. So for example, yourself, Shalene, we settled on the fact that you're the everyman archetype. And these archetypes are by Carl Jung. They exist already. If you Google them, you can find them. If you go to my website, you can also find a free download that will explain all of them and the brand promise behind them. But this brand promise is basically the like, it's the ethos, it's the spirit, it's the philosophy behind everything that you do. And if you can line up your brand promise with your particular tribe or the person that you want to attract, it's way beyond pretty words. It's like a visceral connection. It's an emotional connection. So the everyman archetype, for example, is about connection. It's about, you know, I'm sitting on the couch with my best friend. I know you, you, I feel like you're sharing honest experiences with me. There's a transparency. There's like a trust. That's the everyman archetype. Another example would be the ruler. The ruler archetype is about prestige. It's about power. It's about achievement. That's Rolex, for example, Rolex watches. Okay. Is there a personal brand that you can think of that is the ruler? Yeah. There's Matthew Kimberly, who's okay. a coach. He is the ruler mixed with a little bit of the rebel or the everyman. So he pokes fun at the industry, but he's also about like achievement so what might the language of a ruler sound like? Yeah. So it's bold, it's domination, it's legacy, it's, you know, don't die empty. It's this mm. idea that you have to achieve. Achievement is like the most important value that exists. I see. Okay. Yeah. And so there's 12 of them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> I I so can't go through them all. So, but, so let me ask you a little bit more about that. So once yeah. I know these 12 archetypes. Yep. You know, for someone like you, this is what I found really fascinating is that you weren't just looking at my writing when I looked at, you know, so you did the screen recording for me where I got to yeah. see your process and I was like, damn, like I need to do this for myself. Like you were looking at the way I speak in my videos, how I speak on live, 
how I write in my social media posts, how I write in my emails, how I wrote my book Mm -hmm. and an older book and a newer book. And you'd kind of like piece these things together and you were also able to identify areas where like they didn't kind of match up. Yep. Yeah. So let's talk about that doesn't kind of match up because I have definitely used copywriters before where I'm like, yeah, I know we're converting with this, but I would never write like this. Mm -hmm. I don't talk like this. Mm -hmm. I never speak in nevers. I try not to ever speak in nevers or condemning Mm -hmm. or like I'm always giving people like a way out, you know, because there's always an exception and I want people to have grace. And you were able to identify some areas of my writing or whatever, Mm -hmm. my footprint of my brand voice that didn't really kind of line up with what you thought I was. And, And I think that first introduction anyways, you were like, let's just be clear. Like, so is this what you would say is your brand voice? And I think a lot of us need that clarity because mm-hmm. we've adopted a brand voice that isn't really our voice. And maybe that's why things aren't converting. Do you see this often? Yeah, that people try to, they see a brand voice in the wild and they try to replicate <laughs> it because they think it's working. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So that can happen where you try to mimic something in an effort to find your voice for sure, especially yeah. in the beginning. But I think the truest way to find your voice is, again, to decide what your promise is at your core, your mission. So why it is that you do what you do, that brand promise, whether it's, you know, I give you, so Harley Davidson is freedom through disruption and rebellion, for example, figure out what your promise is and Google those. It's very easy to pick. And then you need to figure out what your patterns are. So the patterns are the things that you do consciously, unconsciously in your writing over and over and over again that make something sound like you. So if I were to break down your voice, Shalene, for example, you love hashtags, you love emojis. It's part of what gives you that like approachable, modern, social savvy voice. Mm -hmm. So that absolutely has to be part of your footprint or your brand architecture. On top of that, you often will do something called breaking the fourth wall, which is where it's a term that comes from theater, where you kind of reach across the screen and in brackets or in like a call-out box, you'll say what you really mean about something, right? So you tell is always the sense of honesty that you're always sharing the reality of what's happening in your life. That's breaking the fourth wall. It's like, you're not going to find a pretend image here. You're only going to find truth and authenticity. Cool. So that's another brand marker, right? So it's very cool. It's it's one of those things that you can, I talk about, there's 12 or so techniques that I think make up the majority of brand voice, these patterns that happen over and over again. Here's the challenge. Go back through your social media posts or things you wrote when you were upset, things you wrote when you were charged, things you wrote when you were happy, things you wrote when you were excited, things you have opinions about. Write those. And then go back through later on and see what do you like about the copy? And that will help you to start to decide what your voice is. Interesting. Um, Yeah. But in a nutshell, it's your viewpoint, you know, plant your flag in the ground, have a point of view on something that itself will help you write in your own voice. Are there hard and fast rules with regard to, let's talk about sales copy in emails, let's say, Mm -hmm. are there any hard and fast rules with regard to, I shouldn't say hard and fast general guidelines that are going to serve most people when it comes to email copy. So for example, breaking up paragraphs, using hashtags, a story, you know, what kind of general guidelines would you give us? I know for myself, anytime we're fixing my, the copy I've written, it's way too freaking long. Even Mm -hmm. when I read my own thing, like the next day, I'm like, who would even read? This is so long. Why is there all this information? When I'm writing it, I'm like, this is good. This is so good. We're going to crush. But then when I go back and reread, I'm like, who's got the time? (laughs) No, it's so common. It's so common. It's warm-up copy. And so, Ah. right? So copywriters will know that every copywriter I've ever paid to work with, to learn from, et cetera, they've always been very honest that their first round of copy isn't their best round of copy, that they always go back in and edit for specific things. So if you actually look up, there's this book for readers who want to look at this. There's something called the Halbert copywriting method. And it's a short read, but it will tell you step-by-step, how do you go back and improve on your copy based off of a few simple rules? Um, Halbert, is that H-A-L-B-E-R-T? Yes, exactly. Okay. And we'll put a link to that in our show notes. Yeah, it's fantastic. And 
And copywriters will often say 50% of being a great copywriter is learning how to edit your copy. That's 50% of the work. So the good news is, as you know what to look for, you'll get faster and faster and you'll start, your first draft will start to reflect these rules that you're learning. One of the things that I often see is that we get going, we start writing, and it's not until the middle of the email or towards the end that we really get going. We get into a mm. groove, we start to say what our opinion is, we start to be the most punchy, the most engaging, the most entertaining. It's usually about midway through the copy. So step number one, and I see this over and over again when I'm editing copy for clients, is the first often paragraph to two paragraphs are filler. They're often going to be like extra copy that you can, in hindsight, go back and start to pull out and Mm -hmm. edit out. So look for those punchy bits and drag them to the top of your email. Start with, yeah, the best part. So for example, when I tell the story about how I got into copywriting and when I found out it was the thing that could move the needle, that email doesn't start with, it was five years ago and I was this age and I was in this city and all that kind of thing. There's no preamble. It starts with, it's 2 a.m. and I'm cold. Mm. I'm also panicking. So you start right away with the, the juiciest bits. So drop them into the action. And the second part is so always- cut to the chase, which is yeah. you know, something I remember very well from learning speech writing mm. that, or any type of presentation that you really can grab people's attention if You think about a movie scene, the best, most iconic, riveting movies Mm. open with the chase scene. They don't open with everything that happened just before the chase. They start with the chase and then kind of work their way backwards or forwards. Exactly, exactly, right? So get them to the good stuff as quickly as you can. Something else that you can do is start to look at your copy and think to yourself, especially when you're talking about your own experiences, what was I feeling? What was I thinking? What was I doing? What were the sensations around me? So if you're talking about, you know, you just woke up in the morning and had this aha moment, maybe you're going to talk about how the coffee smelled. Maybe you're going to talk about how it was cold outside. Maybe you're going to talk about how you're wrapped up in a cozy blanket as you're telling this story. Mm. You can add sensation to the email. It's a quick way to kind of add like sensory feelings. And the other one that's my absolute favorite is add moments of truth. So look for those moments of truth that your customer can relate to and the copy starts to write itself and it becomes more engaging. So instead Mm. of telling them what you want to say, instead of like going on and on about your opinion, you can say something like, so for example, I'm working with a woman who creates fine art portraiture and they're keepsakes. It's not just family photography, it's keepsakes you'll, you'll keep forever. That's her philosophy on things. And so we talk about how these keepsakes aren't just like a family photo that you're going to get at you know, the local department store, these are moments in time that you're going to look back at the wedding. You're going to look back on this during every single milestone of your life. And the moment of truth is that when you put your kid to bed tonight and you see how cute they are, how adorable they are, you're going to want to capture this moment in a bottle. And every day that they get older, every year that they get older, these photos aren't going to exist. And that's sort of a moment of truth, right? Is that you need to capture the moment now. So moments of truth. That's huge. You know, and I don't remember specifically why we jumped on a call. Mm-hmm. Maybe I was working through sales copy for a video, I feel like. Either the 131 method. Yeah, I don't remember yeah. whether it was for a video or email copy, but you and I and mm-hmm. Allison Bird jumped on yes. a call. And just three women and we're chatting about weight mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. not like from the perspective of selling a program that helps people with their nutrition and weight loss, but like as three women, like, okay, what is the real struggle? And we just kind of stripped away like all the things we hear everybody else saying and all the things that sound kosher and all the things that sound acceptable. And we were all just like, really like, you know, like everything's harder when you feel fat, like when your waistband is digging into your stomach and you've got a muffin top and you just look in the mirror and you're like, God, I hate the way I look at everything right now. Yeah. Every part of your life feels harder. Yes. And, you know, we just could really relate to like everything feels more stressful. Everything feels more frustrating. Everything feels crazy to think, but that's true. And that's one of the things you, you know, by using that type of copy and that type of language, being able to really tap into the empathy as opposed to like, 
you know, wouldn't it feel great to lose your muffin top or, you know, take care of your health, which is great. But like right. at its core, how we really relate to her mm-hmm. is by understanding that that might feel like a shallow thing to admit, mm. but everything feels harder when I don't love my body. Yes, absolutely. You put off life too. You, you wait, you skip things, yep. you avoid things, right? That vacation, you know, that bar mitzvah, that holiday party with your husband, all these things that you're skipping, that you're missing out on, right? And life is, you know, for living, you've got to go live today. So that exercise, I have the notes from it. It has helped me in so much of my, my Mm. copy, the ads that we do for Instagram and Facebook. It's helped me in my Instagram stories. It's helped me relate to my customer because it was three of us really talking about what we hold ourselves back from, Mm -hmm. how it affects us, what would be possible? What have we done before? And so I would encourage anyone who is struggling with that first couple of steps that Wahida's outlined for you is mm-hmm. get on a Zoom with a few of your target audience, like maybe you're, they're your yeah. friends. And because obviously this is your target audience because it's a problem you once had. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, tap into that and just brainstorm it. Don't worry about all of the, the quote unquote language you're supposed to use, but really mm-hmm. think about all of those experiences. And it was kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great time. Yeah. To dig into the reality of things. You start to get excited about how you can solve the problem once you realize how it's affecting their life, right? It starts to become a mission and an exciting thing to write. That's where it comes back to, you know, when you're writing copy and you have an opinion on something or you're charged up by something or you're excited about something. It often comes from, you know, sitting in that moment where you recognize how it's the pain that they're in right now, mm-hmm. and then writing to solve that pain, writing to help, writing to be of service. That helps you write lots and lots of copy when you come from that place. My experience as a someone who creates infomercials, I just yeah. finished a new infomercial for Pio. And, mm. you know, again, filmed on my iPhone, again, you know, all from my voice, my perspective, etc. So that's something really fun for me to do, but there is a formula. Yes. And we know that that formula that works. And so for me, when I'm like even creating this new one, I didn't sit for days and days and days and wonder like, where should I start? I just went back to the like, okay, it starts with this. I have to grab her attention with the problem. Then I have to establish my expertise. Then I have to relate to her. Then I have to just tip her off on what this is. And then we got to talk about, it's almost like ad libs or mad libs. Mm -hmm. Remember those Mm -hmm. where you fill in the blank? So there is a formula and we share that inside the Marketing Impact Academy. We we call it the infomercial formula, but it's the same Mm -hmm. formula that you use even whether you're doing a three-minute video or a a Facebook ad. But on video, the formula is the same. You just kind of shrink it Mm -hmm. depending on how much time you have available. All infomercials, long-form infomercials are 30 minutes. And each one of those 30 minutes, there are three 10-minute blocks. Each Mm -hmm. block has the same formula. Mm -hmm. It's repeated which is kind of interesting. And this is just a side note. The third block is the strongest mm-hmm. because right? they've, they've been watching that whole time. Now we got to grab them. Right. Right. But there are three individual blocks, if you will, each mm-hmm. of which could stand on its own. Mm-hmm. So if someone started watching the, the middle 10 minutes, they could buy at the end. So there's a, a call to action, a CTA at the mm-hmm. end of every 10 minute block. Mm-hmm. And so that's a very formulaic way of looking yeah. at direct sales on TV yeah. Is there a formulaic method that you follow with regard to writing a sales email? Yes. So I always ask myself, okay, so the sales email, the assumption is that it sits within the context of this arc that you're creating to move the customer from problem aware all the way to you're my only, I am aware that you have the solution to my problem and you're the only solution that I want and that there's urgency to take action. So the assumption is that it sits within that arc. And Um, when you say that, just to clarify for people Mm -hmm. who are new to building sales via their email list, what you're suggesting is that there's a series of emails and we're assuming that the customer has opened at least one or two of these. It's not just like, oh, I'm on the email list. Here's your sales. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So you usually think about, and this is where the idea of brainstorming all of the objections or all of the thoughts someone might have. And I like to put them on little post-it notes. I always have post-it notes and I like literally stick it on my window and I, I write out the arc for what I want the message to be. So start with the problem and move your way through. Here's the problem and get really clear on it. Here's 
the solution and get really clear on that. Here are the proof pieces. Other people have had really fantastic results. Here's the unique mechanism, meaning this is what's unique about my program and why you're going to get great results. Here's the promise that I have for you. So if you take my program, if you buy my service, I promise you that you're going to get this particular outcome. Be very, very clear about it. Future pay. So what will their life look like after? You said future, what was the word? Mm, Future pace. Future Future pace. pace. Yeah. So paint a picture of what their life will look like in the future. So I would call that what's possible, the possibilities. Same thing? Yeah, exactly. The same thing. Yeah. So what would your life be like after? And then you also have to talk about timelines in an ideal scenario when you're future pacing. So how quickly will they see results? For some programs, Hmm. it'll be 30 days. For some programs, it'll be a year. Be honest about it, but paint what that will look like. And then you want urgency towards the end of that sequence of emails. Why should they take action now? I can't remember who it was, and I'm going to paraphrase, but he said that the only thing you need in marketing is a deadline. Mm. And so it just confirms sort of the, and we've launched, I've been behind the scenes with so many launches and you've launched multiple times. We know that up to 75% of your sales will come in on the last day. So you've got to have urgency or reason to act now. But when I'm looking at one email, (laughs) here's the question I'm asking myself. Do I know what I want them to think at the end of this email? Do I know what I want them to feel? Do I know what I want them to believe? If you can answer those questions, you've probably written a really great sales email. Think, feel, believe? Yeah. Think, feel, believe. Yeah. That's awesome. What about the, you know, very realistic scenario that we're not actually able to serve people on an email sequence through the entire sequence that people, if, if they're getting four or five emails of the four or five, let's say they're opening one. Yeah. How do we make sure that they, you know, and, and even though all four or five of those are leading up to a sale, is there a mention of a sale in all of those? Mm. Maybe softer? So, yeah. So there's always the mention of the promise. There's always the mention of the promise. So the promise is, if you think it to yourself, write it down on a piece of paper and I need them to believe, here's the formula basically, I need them to believe that in order to solve their problem, in order to get the outcome that they want, they need my specific solution. Not the name of your product, but your process, your mechanism, your unique way of doing things. If you can talk about the promise all the way through. So for example, in the one three one method, in the beginning of the sequence, one of the stories that we include is actually from your book. And it was a story about how you had this couple who would come to a dinner party Mm -hmm. and they hadn't eaten anything really through the whole dinner party because they were on a really strict Mm -hmm. diet. And that taps into this latent belief that people have, which is in order to be healthy and reach my health goals, I have to cut out everything. And the point of the email towards the end of it was not at all that you don't recommend that, that that's not sustainable, that it's not a great way to look at your goals. And so that was the point of the email. That's what we wanted them to believe, think, and feel at the end of the email, that there's a sustainable way that doesn't require you to have empty plates when you go to a dinner party. And the subject (laughs) line was a story about my miserable friend, right? Yeah. So the promise was always kind of implied, which is there's a sustainable way to reach your health goals without having to cut out whole food groups or without having to hate your life. Like exactly. life is for celebrating. Yeah. Yeah. And so the promise always has to be visible. You're always making an argument, basically. You're always building a case for yeah. for your product or your service. So each email has to align to that argument or that promise. Beautiful. If I'm convinced though, and this is something that we practice, I'm just mm-hmm. curious what your take is on it. If I'm convinced after reading that story, even though there isn't a a strong sell, there isn't a, I should say, a strong call to action in that particular email, but I'm aware that you offer the promise. I am aware that you have the solution. If I can make my customer aware of that, our personal practice is, even if it's in the PS, we're going to say, PS, if this is something you've been looking for, we have it. My take on that is, I don't open every email sequence from my favorite people, the people who I know have a solution. But I thinking about my customers being very much like me, if I know you have the solution, I think it's rude if you don't tell me I could get it from you. 
So mm-hmm. even if it's a small PS, I'm searching for it. Like, don't waste my time mm-hmm. forcing me to be MacGyver to figure out what it is you offer and that you could help me. Like, you don't have to like shove it down my throat, but it's nice that there's like, oh yeah, by the way, PS, if this is the thing that you're looking for, we do have this other thing. This might serve you. Yeah, so what are your absolutely. thoughts on, on that? Mm, okay. So the only limitation I can think of when it comes to that is that because deadlines are so meaningful, it means that at a certain point, cart is going to be open and cart's going to be closed in order Maybe. to kind well, let's of- let's say it's an evergreen product. Mm, and yeah, in that case, yeah, absolutely. If you're open every day, if you're willing to sell every day, for sure, for sure. The only thing that you'll want to anticipate is you don't want to take for granted. So people will have their own timelines that they're working with. There's a reason they want, personally want to take action today. Yes. And if there's an external reason for them to take action as well, that's even more compelling. And so the only reason I wouldn't always include it is if you do have an open and close kind of strategy. But if it's evergreen, yeah, push people to your sales. See what happens. You you Mm. just helped me to realize that what we could do to get a better conversion rate on Mm. that, because we we really convert with that PS, is to give them a reason to take action. Like PS, if you click on this today, you receive and give them incentives for taking action immediately. Because you're right, man, without that deadline, without that urgency, people yeah. get distracted. They, they wait. Yes. Even I mean, though they know that's what they need. Right. We would always joke. We knew that people were keeping their sales, the sales page open yeah. all throughout the launch. It's there in the tab and they're just waiting. They're just waiting to take out their credit card and, and take action. And that just, I guess it's human nature to kind of like wait to pull the trigger. But absolutely, if you can give them urgency... Yeah, do it. And also if it's evergreen and you can create sales all through your months and weeks, go for it. Go for it. Just don't take for granted that you might need to add some sort of incentive sometimes. Yeah. For the person listening who doesn't have an email list yet, Mm. doesn't have a website, doesn't even have a product yet to sell, why do they need to think about sales copy in terms of, let's say, social media? Yeah, because it is your unfair advantage. It's the difference between posting and not knowing why Mm. and posting and having an intention behind it. And so that's not to say that every single social media post will have to have a sales intention behind it, but that everything is kind of building a case for it again. So it's a proof story. It's information about why your thing is unique. It's a insight that you've had. It's conversation you had with a client and you helped them solve a problem. And here's the solution. I'm going to share it with you for free, but there's always that intention behind it. It simplifies your content because you kind of know, well, why am I doing what I'm doing, right? Whereas if you don't have an asset like a website or an email, you almost need it even more. You right. need, right? You kind of need that advantage. You need to be intentional with everything that you do. And I know so many people who are just the really great mm-hmm. sales copywriters. I see it in their social media. And those yeah. are the folks who are able to, frankly, launch a business without a website, using their social, but you're not going to have that ability if you don't know how to get people to take action, even from a social media post. You know, if nothing else, getting people to take action to join your email list. And so social media is a great place for people to practice sales copy every single day. Wahida, if people want to learn from the expert how to (laughs) become better at sales copy, how do they reach out to you? Right. So visit me at brandsrstories.com. Brands um, are A-R-E? Mm-hmm. A-R-E stories, S-T-O-R-I-E-S.com. Um, I have offers where I'll actually teach you my story stacking method. So I will walk you through the actual method for writing sales copy from start to finish, not just how to write like a high price copywriter, but how to think like a high price copywriter. And so there's that, but of course, there's all kinds of other free things I'll teach you about. I have a free Facebook group as well on that website, which will give you free tutorials on a weekly basis about you know specific copy things you can use that day to improve your results. Love it. Yeah. That's great. And if somebody listening is at a stage where they're interested in outsourcing their sales copy, they're like, this, this, this ain't my thing. I know it. Do you also work with brands, individuals? To write copy? Yes. So most often it's through day rates now. So contact me, get in touch. There's a little contact form on the website and I'll create something custom to you based on what your needs are. We'll have a great conversation about what your goals are. We'll architect a specific thing that will serve your needs and then we'll go from there. Well, in 
true form of the everyday girl archetype that I am. I'm going to say in parentheses, I really hope that nobody reaches out to you. I really do. I'm just going to be honest because I need you to be available for us. So I might just cut that part of the podcast out. I'm kidding. I won't. But it, it really is because I'm such a giver that I'm sharing my absolute favorite sales copy expert with the world. Wahida, Thank you're you. really so talented at what you do. Thank you for being here today. Oh I really appreciate you. Yeah, it's been a dream. Like it really has been <laughs> wonderful to work on your projects. So, and you're so smart. And so, I mean, I'm always learning something from you every time we connect. So it's awesome. <laughs> well, thank you. I love that. Right yeah. back at you. Awesome. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I enjoyed creating it for you. I wanted to mention a tool that I think you're going to find incredibly useful, especially if you struggle sometimes to know what your purpose is. What is your thing? Like, what are you called to do? Why are you here? What makes you great? What makes you unique? You know what? I think you're too close to yourself to actually even see it. I think if we asked a lot of your friends and family members, they would know. But I want you to know it. I want you to declare it. I want you to see it. So I've developed this really simple questionnaire. You just download it. It's kind of like a quiz, but you're going to know all the answers to this quiz because it's a quiz about you. And when you complete it right there in your own handwriting, it's going to be perfectly clear to you what your thing is. So do me a favor. No, do you a favor and download this questionnaire. You can get it for free by going to shaleen.com forward slash my thing. And then answer the questions and I want to hear from you. Send me an Instagram message and let me know, like, what is your thing? I'm really excited to hear. And I know you will be too. It can be life-changing and clarity providing to know what your thing is. The same answers are going to come up over and over again when you fill out this questionnaire. It's going to be so obvious to you. And it's going to give you that boost in confidence that maybe you've been missing. All right, again, shaleen.com forward slash my thing. And I am really excited for you to do this. 